2: and treat yourself to some Conair Bomb magic. You deserve it. Available at Walgreens.
3: Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Bob Left Seths Podcast. My guest today is drummer Keith Carlog. Keith, how'd you get the gig with Steely Dan?
4: I was living in New York and um, playing with a guitar player by the name of Wayne Krantz, who, an uh, incredible guitar player. Um, we had a trio that we were playing uh, at the 55 Bar in New York, this little dive bar every Thursday. And uh, it was myself, Tim LaFave and on bass and Wayne Kranz on guitar. Uh, Wayne had played with Steely Dan in 96 on their tour. I think it was the Art Crimes tour. And um, so they were uh, already aware of his music, um, fans of his music. Uh, and they came out to um, hear us on occasion. Donald and Walter both came at various times to hear the band um, and at one point, I remember Wayne telling me, "You won't believe this man, but Donald wants to play with us. he wants to sit in and play Rose with us one night." and I was like, I was freaking out <laughs> I was like this is so cool." Um, and uh, I think they got together and and learned some of the music together, some of the heads and, and things that would would help to prepare or whatever. And um so that's it happened one night on a Thursday night and um it was probably late 90s. I was uh I'd been in New York maybe maybe a year and a half at that point. Um I had moved from Texas where I went to school. And um he played the entire night and I remember him sitting right in front of me. It was a small little club. I don't know if you know of it, but it's a tiny little dive bar. Um, but it's, it's got a lot of history and, and you know, kind of a, uh, a New York legendary place, you know, just where you can just play music, play whatever you want. People come and listen and really great vibe there. Anyway, um, and I think that night Will Lee was on bass because Tim was out of town. Uh, couldn't make the gig, so Willie was playing bass. myself, Wayne, and and uh, Donald on roads, and it was one of those pinch yourself moments for me, where you know I'm playing with three of my heroes, really, you know, uh, and you know, like I said, I'd only been in New York for a little while, and so it was incredible. I had a great time, and uh, and that was it. And then later. Um, You know, like I said, Walter was also coming down to hear us from time to time Um, and, uh, you know, never thought it would turn into anything. I didn't know. But they invited us to play or to come to their studio and record this band, the Wayne Cranch Trio. And and it was a studio they had uh, at the time on the Upper East Side in the 90s somewhere and uh, called River Sound and we went in and donald and walter were both there they um were kind of more or less producing it from what it seemed like uh we we recorded all day long and we're getting some sounds and uh i can remember working with walter on some of the the drum sounds in the room and doing some tuning things and changing some things and experimenting a little bit and um and that was amazing, you know, just hanging with them and, and getting to know them a little bit and seeing how
5: they work in the studio. And just it was it was incredible. Um, and. It was maybe. I don't know how much longer it, it had been a while they were
4: going in the studio to record a song for a Joni Mitchell tribute record. Um, and they were recording the song Carrie from blue. Um, and they, they asked me to come in. I got called from the contractor and, and of course I was geeking out like, Oh my God, this is crazy. Um, cause just to be asked, you know, is one thing, but then if they actually use what you do, you know, it's like a big feather in the cap for a musician, you know, to be a part of a, a Steely Dan, whatever, you know? Um, so we, we, uh, I remember we got the, the track that day. Got the rhythm track. They were just wanting to get the drums, uh, nice and consistent, solid track, and then they could just build from there. But I think we got a nice rhythm track with with everyone playing. I remember Donald playing Rhodes. Uh, Walter was playing bass. Um, wish I could remember. I, I I think John Harrington was there on guitar. Could have been Hugh McCracken as well. Um, Anyway, my memory is not perfect there. But it was it was a, an amazing session. I, I just I I felt pretty good about it and they were they were into it. Um, they finished the song out. I don't think that, that it ended up being used. I remember um, that song uh, because I guess they changed the ginger and the lyrics or something to fit a male that um i found out she didn't like it i asked <laughs> Donald about that one time <laughs> i guess she wasn't she didn't like it so they didn't use it for the record um that song actually re- reappeared on the internet after 20 years it was i don't think it was ever heard and and i found it and some people posted it and uh i asked donald about it and he told me that story that that uh i don't think she liked that we changed the lyrics you know a little bit to to fit a you know a male instead of a female point of view or something like that. Um and then uh that was my first experience recording with them uh for real. Um and you know if that was it I was happy with that. You know, that was that was incredible. Then you know I guess it was another uh I don't know another year or so uh, or less they, they were gonna do a new record um, and they, I think they really liked the the process of just coming in and getting the rhythm track and then finishing it out, you know, finishing out the song right away, um, using the same rhythm section we, we would do, we would come in and they asked me to record a little bit more for this record. We'd come in and do like two or three tracks at a time. Um, and And they would you know just basically trying to get a nice rhythm track they could build from for um this record that would end up being everything must go that uh can't remember what year it came out maybe 2002 or three um so it was one of those things where i i didn't know if i would get called back didn't know you know what to expect but they kept calling the same guys back and it was turning into a whole thing, a whole process where we would do two or three songs at a time, go away. They'd finish them out and then start again with another
5: batch of songs like that. Um, and so that was, that was great. It was really, um,
4: just incredible, you know, just to be a part of that in the studio. Um, you know they're kind of known for bringing in rhythm section after rhythm section and changing things up this was, you know the first time in their history where they just kind of s- stuck with one group of guys you know for the core of the tracks so that was pretty exciting to be to be there as a part of that um and then uh that we finished it out and you know after a course of many months I remember 9-11 happening somewhere in the middle of that. And there was a pause for a while. Um, But I got a call from Walter Becker um, before that they were going to go out on the road in 2003. And he asked me if I wanted to, to go tour with them. And of course, you know, I was, yes, you know, um, and so that's kind of how, and, you know, that's kind of how all it came about. It was just like one step at a time. And it just kind of snowballed into this thing where, um, we, it just became, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, comfortable working together. And then we had a lot of time to kind of get to know one another and work together and, uh, feel things out. And, um, so they, you know, asked me that that was a 2003 tour and I've, uh, I've been on every tour ever since since 2003
3: let's go back to the making of the album you know it's pretty much a mystery of what really went on in the studio you know walter ultimately produced a donald fagan solo album who was in control and what was the process like
5: um
4: i would say they they were both equally in control um they would usually send me some kind of a demo ahead of time um and if not they'd play it in the control room before we would go out and try to track something but it's most of the time i'd get something ahead of time just to listen to um it might have been something donald just programmed in garageband or something like that you know just just to have the idea down um and there was always a chart you know uh i went to music school so i, I could read so that's good um and uh so I would just kind of prepare mentally about what I might want to do and just have some ideas,
5: but we would go in and just start tracking. I I mean, and I think, um, uh, it it wasn't a lot
4: of direction at first. It was just, let's just play. And we we would, we would turn on the, there was always, it's always a click. We play along to the click and get, get a nice, uh, groove happening before rolling tape, which I always thought, that's really cool. You know, I'd never done that before where you're, you know, usually it's just click in and go. We would just kind of play for a while and kind of lock in as a band, you know, until Donald was ready. And then he'd lift his hand and give the, the engineer the, the, the go ahead to turn, to start rolling tape. And then we'd stop for like one second and I'd count it off. Um, and you know, your body's kind of into the groove and everyone's kind of feeling it so that we can just lock in from the start.
5: Um, which was pretty uh, fascinating idea. Um, But they were both, you know, Donald
4: was playing Rhodes, Walter was playing bass. It felt like we were just kind of a rhythm section, you know, uh, working through the tunes. And and it was, it was a lot of fun. It just felt like musicians playing together. It didn't feel like um, maybe what, do you hear you know, the stories back in the day where they're, you know, in there like heckling the musicians or something, you know? Um, and uh, it was, it was cool. It, it was, maybe they were just trying some, you know, new ways of recording and, uh, and it, it, it was, it was great. It was just great to be there, you know, a part of that whole thing.
3: Okay. So tell me about um, if let's assume uh, you got a demo, how would you literally prepare before you went in? Just listening through,
5: you know,
4: I, if I don't have a chart, I would try to just write down some notes and things to remember, maybe some ideas in my, you know, what just, what just pops up right away, whatever my intuition might be that would sound good for the track.
5: Um, and I really, as I got deeper into it, I realized that, you know, if I just stayed pretty much with what the
4: demo was doing, that they were they were happy with that. Like they they just wanted a consistent just bed of groove that they could they could build on. So you know I don't always know and I didn't know what the vocal line might be or what they're gonna add to it later, you know, whether it's horns or or other parts that might come in later. So in a way, not knowing that, you kind of you don't want to get in the way of things um, while you're recording, so I think what I what I realized what, that worked was just playing a nice, you know, just solid. Maybe start with what the demo was playing drum wise, and just kind of pick out what that groove is or what that pattern might be, and just start there, and then let it evolve if need be, or whatever ideas that may they may have or I may have. But for the most part, it seemed to work to just. Just kind of stay there.
3: And to what degree would they ultimately give you direction?
5: Um, you know, just it, it was more always about feel. It was always like it wasn't necessary a lot of uh, particular, you know,
4: it wasn't technical. It was, it was just trying to get the thing to feel right, the way that they wanted it to feel. It's always about the groove and, and just a consistent groove that's happening. That they that they really wanted, and so that was my ultimate goal. I didn't want to try to be too clever with it, you know. Just try to make it feel good, keep it simple for the most part, and just have a bed of something for them. You
3: know? Okay. Do you have a special recording kit, and what do you bring to the studio?
4: Oh man, it, it depends on the, the what the session is or or what I think might be needed. Um, I mean, I generally have uh just basic you know five piece kit kick drum snare drum maybe three toms maybe four toms you know and um and that's that's generally what what i'm used to playing nothing too too crazy it's pretty standard um i may change the snare drum depending on the track what what might sound good you know sometimes a beefier snare kind of adds a weight To the track to make it feel a little weightier And pulled back Whereas a higher pitch snare can kind of push things forward Um Or just sound a little bit more You know right in the middle of the beat Kind of things like that Um But you know Other than that I might change the tunings What things you know that Steely Dan likes things to be pretty dry So I would have everything muffled up pretty well Some people like it more Open meaning things ring out you know, the drums just ring and do their thing more and kind of resonate. So depending on the music, depending on what they want, or if they just want me to do my thing, that's, I kind of, it just varies. You know, I just have to figure out what's going to work on that day.
3: So uh, people always hear about tuning drums. What exactly is tuning drums?
4: Uh it's, it's really just, I, I'm not scientific about it. To me, it's like, it's really, for me, it's just finding something that feels good, that has a good bounce, you know, a good feel when I play it. Um, but basically, it's just the tension of the head. So you just want to get a nice tone between the top and the bottom head that works well together. And every drum kind of has a sweet spot range of the tone that sounds good naturally. So you just kind of find that, whatever that drum wants to do. but um, yeah, I don't think about it too much. I'm not one of those people that tunes them to notes or anything specific. I just, I just know where I like it and it's mostly about the feel of it. I don't like it to be thuddy and just feel like a pillow. I also don't like it to feel like a table. I kind of find the middle spot, you know, where it kind of has a bounce, um, uh, more like a rubber feel when you, when you play at your stick comes back, you know, that's what I like. Um, yeah, it's just, everyone has their way of doing things. It's very a uh, personal thing. And I just, I just kind of wing it. After being in New York for 20 something years, I, I I played so many drum sets that were trashed in clubs and where you just go in or rehearsal halls or whatever. And you just have to deal, you know, I used to be really particular when I was younger, um, had to be exactly right, you know, or I'm not going to be comfortable. But I, I got to the point where, oh man, it doesn't even matter. Whatever's easy and I'll, I'll make this work. And you know, they don't take care of anything in those clubs, so it's like <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get. Um, so I've learned to just make it work. You know, I'll figure out a way to make them sound the best I can. And a lot of it's you know, it's really in the player. It's not really just like with any instrument. It's it's the player that makes it makes the sound.
3: You know. And are you an equipment geek? Do you have tons of drums? Are you relatively simple? What do you own? Um well this this
4: room right here i would show you if i could but i don't want to mess up the camera but uh i have um i have a lot of snare drums because snare drums kind of are important when you're recording as far as getting different different sounds and different vibes for the track but i have uh i have some old kits that i've collected um but I'm not a crazy vintage guy, but I do have a few things, some old Gretsch kits that I've collected. Um, I play Gretsch most of the time now. And, um, uh, you know, I'd say I have like three kits at home that I interchange when I record from home. And then I don't know, I see probably 30 snare drums or more. Um, and I keep a kit in New York and, um, you know, other than that, there's, there's cartage places if i'm traveling i can use their stuff or whatever you know um but yeah i have well i have my my touring kit as well that's in new york that just stays there with, with steely dance gear so yeah i'd say there's like five or six kits altogether. so i'm not crazy
3: <laughs> rich. Gr- oh
4: man um i just I'm a fan of the sound of them. Um, I'm a fan of the history. Um, you know, a lot of my favorite drummers played Gretsch. So, you know, like, uh, Mitch Mitchell, um, like, uh, lots of lots of the greats, you know, I went through a jazz phase in school. So I was really into Elvin Jones and Tony Williams and, and, uh, you know, a lot of the jazz guys played Gretsch. Um, It's an American company that kind of, they, uh, the Gretsch building in Brooklyn, I used to see all the time crossing the Williamsburg Bridge. The the, the building is still there and it says Gretsch on it. And and that's kind of where they started when they came over from Germany, the the family. And um, it's just a really cool story. You know, they, they, um, it's just a classy uh, vibe that, that they have that I, that I like. And, and it's, um, they had these really thin shells that had this resonance that they're known for. And, um, now they make lots of different stuff. What they're making now is just as good as back in the day. And so that's another plus. Um, but yeah, it's just taste. And, and, uh, I've just been a Gretsch fan. Every, every time I record, I usually use Gretsch. Um, even with Sealy Dan.
3: So what is the difference between the different brands? in terms of sound and feel
4: uh with well, these days you know everyone makes really high quality stuff it's just um what you get used to it, there's there's like a organic openness about Gretsch for me that's they're not trying too hard to be high tech like they found something that worked and just stuck with it from from back in the i would say you know 60s and 70s uh, era that it's, and that's like all my favorite music is from that era, sixties and seventies and some of the eighties. Um, and it just, a lot of those recordings in those days were Gretsch and you just kind of, um, you know, I think that, that they, yeah they just found something that worked, you know, and it just, it just kind of, it just stayed the same and it, and it, it just has that vibe. It has that like, um, I don't know. It's like a warm tone that I really, I really dig. You know.
3: And what about symbols and heads?
4: Um, you know, there's a lot of choices out there, but I've always been a Zildjian guy. I love, Z- you know, I that's just what I've always played. Um, you know, you 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 kind of want to do what your heroes do when you're young. You grow up and you you. You you do notice those things, especially if you're as into it as I was growing up and just wanted to, so hungry for all the information. And you just kind of at first you copy everything and then you figure out what what you're going to do with it all. <laughs> and part of it's the gear, you know, and so I, I Zildjian is kind of set the standard just like Gretsch did for me. And then there's um uh, in the in the head realm, there's 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 only a few companies that are out there that that are. Uh, kind of set the standard as well with Remo or Evans is really great and I use Evans now um, and it's just whatever is easy to you know user friendly and, and they're not trying too hard to be you know because it's just drums you know like it doesn't have to be rocket scientists making this stuff it's just once you find something that works that's just how I am I, I just I stick with it what I know
3: and what is the lifespan of the head? Uh,
4: <laughs> it depends on if I'm bashing my brains out or if I'm just playing, uh, you know, more normal. <laughs> depends on the situation. Um, but it can, on the road, it can last, you know, a snare drum's going to go quicker because you're playing it more. So those can last a show or maybe two if I'm lucky. Um, if it's a high energy, hard-hitting thing if it's um if it's not they, they can
5: last months you know it just depends on what's happening um but yeah it varies i'd say and what about the sticks um the sticks uh they last a long time for me i don't really i'm not a i don't break sticks
4: a lot and i never have and a lot of it i think has to do with um my technique you know i i'm not like um I'm not hitting as hard as it may look. I just use a lot of motion, a lot of lift and motion, but i'm not uh the physics of it is more about the force behind it, but it's i'm not like bashing into into the drum you know I'm letting it rebound and it's I'm getting a big sound because of the momentum behind it, so it's just something i've worked on many for many years and and tried to figure out a way to get a big sound without getting tired and hitting too hard.
5: And what about the width of the stick? The width of the stick. Ah, I don't know. Um, I, I have a size
4: that I use. I actually have a, a stick, uh, a signature stick with Vic Firth that I use. And, um, it's, it's probably um, somewhere in the middle. It's not a tiny jazzy thing it's or a a huge rock thing it's kind of in the middle um i don't really know the diameter or the i don't really know the details but it feels good it works and the the beat of it, it it's not too thick it sounds good on the cymbals. and you know i found something i liked
0: witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other
3: Okay, let's go back to Steely Dan. Granted, you've been working with them for 20-odd years, but the band decides to go on the road. How much rehearsal is there?
4: Um, The first few tours, we would rehearse probably two weeks with just the rhythm section, and then another few, I don't know. I'm trying to think. It could have been more than that with just the rhythm section, including Donald and Walter. then, I guess the horns and singers, meaning the background singers, would come in like another two weeks after that, and we would do you know i would say five to six weeks of rehearsing if I remember correctly and then over the years, as this band uh it's been a lot of the same personnel for a long time now, as we kind of started working more and more in the later years um, you know we would uh wouldn't rehearse as much. It would come together a lot quicker. Um, so now we will just do maybe maybe five days with the rhythm section and three days with everyone else, and then and then go out. Um, but there was a time where where they, when I first started working with them, they would do a one long tour, and then take a couple of years off. So it, I, I was lucky to find some things in there that worked out for me um some incredible situations you know i i was able to work with with Sting for a couple of years and then um there's a couple of tours with James Taylor in there um in between Steely Van working
5: um there was uh what else i, I did a tour with John Mayer i did a tour with uh uh
4: Toto a little bit Most recently, Christopher Cross, like a lot of, a lot of great, a lot of, a lot of this music that, like I said, is kind of coming from that, a lot of it's coming from that same era, you know, which is the stuff that I love when they used to make those records that were so crafted, you know, with all the
5: session musicians. And, um, I love all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty it it's kind of
4: turned into a machine after all the years. So we, we don't we don't have to rehearse as much. It usually depends on how much time has been between the last time we played. You know, I guess Donald will decide how much how much time we need to feel comfortable.
3: And what about repertoire? Is Donald, you know, you're gonna rehearse everything you're gonna play? Is he gonna pull some deep thing out? you gonna play the same thing all the time?
5: Um, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's changed over the years, you know, because there's,
4: there's a set, there's a standard set list, I would say, that has a lot of the same tunes, and then he'll switch out little sections within that. Um, but we would always do um, album nights at the, at the Beacon, is where it started. And we would do a couple of weeks at the beacon, we would do different album nights each night. So we would do pretty much the whole repertoire at some point because we would we would play the Royal Scam in its entirety. We would do Asia in its entirety. We did Countdown to Ecstasy. We did Katie lied We did, you know, the the entire records and then greatest hits after that. So it was a it was really cool because you know, for us in the band, we got to play stuff that we don't normally play, some of the deeper cuts and uh and for the diehard fans that was that was incredible you know um we would do donald's night fly record um or sometimes during the Sealy dan nights we would do some of donald's solo stuff he would work those in so it's always changing and then he would rearrange some stuff that he was you know he gets tired of playing them the exact same way you know some of the older tracks he'll he'll rearrange every now and then so i think it's just because he gets bored and he wants to change it up
3: how about you you're going on the road for 20 years certainly not every night and you're playing the same songs are you still as excited do you get bored Do you start thinking about
5: your laundry (laughs) um well no i i i uh I don't, I don't really get bored. I mean, this, it's, you know, I obviously I
4: have nights where I'm more on than others, but, um, I'm such a fan of the music and and I, I just, I always have a good time. Some nights are better than others, you know, (laughs) but I'm definitely not thinking about laundry. You know, I, I I could, I, I know when I'm getting burnt out after a long tour, but I'm, I still try to like, you know, get up there and nail it as best I can. (laughs)
3: <laughs> and what's the difference with Walter no longer with us?
4: Um it's a huge dynamic that's missing. I mean
5: it it's um it's uh I, I guess all I can say is it's it's doable
4: because Donald is the singer. It's doable that we can keep going or um, you know, that Donald wants to keep keep the band going. It's uh it works but
5: obviously it's not the same um uh they had such a an incredible you know
4: relationship it was it was always fun just to see how they would bounce ideas off of each other and and it was you know half the time it was it was over our heads you know just (laughs) follow their their sense of humor and and their references and um you know just having that background together growing up together it was it was, it was cool to see that um and i'm sure it, it must be weird for donald to just be up there without his partner of all, all those years you know i can't imagine that but it's it's you know it's cool and, and it, it's the music is what matters and the fact that donald is uh okay. wanting to keep it going it's it's a beautiful thing for for everyone.
3: Okay, so you said you went to uh, school in Texas. Where'd you grow up?
4: I grew up in Mississippi. I I was um, born in Greenville, Mississippi, which is in the Mississippi Delta.
3: You know, most people are not that Mississippi savvy. You know, Northern Mississippi is like Tennessee, Southern Mississippi is a world unto itself. Where is that where you grew up? And how far is the biggest town? Give me a little bit more.
4: Okay. Well, Greenville, the, the Delta is kind of like North Mississippi, like below Memphis. If you know where Memphis, Tennessee yeah. is, it's like below, right below that. So it's in that area, um, kind of like, I don't know, not Central Mississippi, but like maybe just below Memphis. That's kind of where I was born. And then we moved south to the Jackson area, which is central, centrally located, um, in a town called Clinton, Mississippi, which is where I grew up from like
5: age five through high school um and then uh uh well
4: i mean it was it was a great place to grow up i mean obviously there's a lot of uh rich musical culture in that area um and i was not quite aware of it all until i got older but just being around people that knew it could turn me on to things you know i had some great teachers along the way Um, but I was certainly influenced by new Orleans, which was not far, you know, the new Orleans music. I really got heavily into that. Of course, Memphis had the stacks recordings just up the road, so to speak. And then you had Muscle Shoals, Alabama, not too far. Like uh, that whole region is just really rich of, of American music culture. That's pretty insane, you know? Um, and I learned more about it later, but, uh, but it's just cool to be from that, you know, it doesn't seem, it doesn't, it seems rare, you know, there's not a lot of people that say, yeah, I'm from Mississippi, so it's kind of, um, I don't know, it's a, it's definitely a, a communication starter, you know, people, I didn't know people lived in Mississippi. You
5: know? <laughs> so, is your family have a
3: long history in Mississippi? What did your father and mother do for a living? Um, My, uh, yeah,
4: both my parents were from there. Well. I guess the majority of their lives. I think my dad was originally from Schenectady, New York. My mom was from there. Um, She was a school teacher. She taught elementary school, and um, I know she taught kindergarten at one point. My dad was, uh, he worked at Mississippi Valley Gas Company in Jackson, and he was a corrosion engineer, which basically he had. accounts he would go to uh, annually or semi-annually i don't know exactly i don't remember how it worked but he would just basically go and do leakage surveys and it was a natural natural gas uh, accounts he would have at various locations and i guess if, if he found a leak he would get it fixed and you know that kind of thing it probably was more involved in that but that's that's really all i could that's all i knew at the time <laughs> about it But yeah, definitely not musicians. I was, I was just one of the weird people that kind of figured out what they want to do at an early age. It wasn't because of my family. I had two. I had two older sisters. They weren't um, musicians, really, but they, um, I think, played some piano. But they, um, you know, they weren't serious about it. But there was always music in the
5: house, and that's kind of how it all started—just being around music all the time. What kind of music? Uh, I can remember um, just various stuff. I remember, obviously, we were listening to a lot of,
4: you know, Top 40 radio growing up and and classic rock and stuff like that. Uh, um, But I remember there were some Paul McCartney and Wings. Um, I remember the Bee Gees. There were some Beatles. There was, um, you know, like popular... Music
5: of the day. There was, there was, trying to think, various stuff, you know. Um, and I think listening
4: to just, really you know, I was just a sponge. You know, I was like listening to whatever, whatever I, whatever was around, and I was just drawn to the rhythm and the mu- and and you know, drums and music. I just somehow knew that's what I wanted to do.
3: Well, a little bit slower. How did you start playing the drums? And were the drums your first instrument?
4: Yeah, it was my first instrument. I um I I was I was just trying to think, you know, we I, I would watch the Johnny Carson show and see Buddy Rich on there or other Ed Shaughnessy was the drummer in the band. It was like always, you know, musical guests that I'd be into and and, and then later I got into late night with David Letterman, uh, which kind of started my whole infatuation with New York city and I knew I wanted to go there, you know, at some point, um, I fell in love with New York.
5: Um, so, uh, you know, I guess, um, my parents realized that I was into
4: this thing and they, they, they got me the toy kits that a lot of, of parents start out with to see how it goes, you know, do want to, get too too locked in (laughs) and those those paper heads they last about
5: two days you know um and uh and then i just kept wanting more and eventually
4: i think someone recommended to my parents get them a snare drum you know start there and and then i started just getting more and more into it and i wanted the drum set i got my first drum set i talked my dad into it I think I was around nine, ten, and that's when it really got serious because I was just listening to all kinds of different music in the house and just trying to figure out what they were doing and just picking out the the parts you know by ear
5: um, and and the the great thing was is that i i I didn't just play drums
4: by myself for very long there was there were some other musicians in the neighborhood that i met that were older than me that and they needed a drummer it was just perfect timing and we ended up putting this literally a, a garage band together and we just played classic rock and and stuff that, that they they were into and um and this guy's name was david duncan i remember going to his house we'd set up in his garage for a long time for for several years and just practice there like almost every day um just playing just just learning music um i think we finally got some gigs you know but it was just more about just just the the escape of just going in that garage and and playing together and inviting people over as we were jamming and uh um and then eventually my parents realized that this wasn't going to go away. (laughs) They they were were like, okay, what are we going to do? So they, they, they built a, a soundproof room in our garage. So that became a place where we would rehearse and I would play. I, I couldn't wait to get home from school to play and always practicing, always playing, putting in the work, you know,
5: just, um, and then as soon as I could, um, I got into the school programs and found some great teachers
4: and, in the area, um, I wanted to do it all you know i I wanted to be in the marching band I wanted to play I was already the drummer I was like um, you know it it I think any musician can probably relate like his a lot of us are kind of uh, we're sensitive and we're introverted most of the time, and like this is our kind of our self esteem and our our identity is is these whatever we decide to play you know it becomes like that's how I was anyway. I was just like, man, this is, this is everything. And I became that, the drummer guy, you know, to everybody. Um, but it was, uh, it was a great time. It was a good, good place to grow up. Um, and I was around people that were older than me that, that was teaching me about playing in a rhythm section and, you know, what is the kick drum and the bass drum need to do? How does that work together? And, you know, all those things, um, that that I learned at an early age, you know, just playing with people, playing with other humans than just sitting in a practice room by myself. It seems like that's what a lot of young drummers are doing these days. They just, they can play a lot of great stuff and they're putting out their Instagram videos, but it's, you know, I don't know if they've really played in a band before, you know, you can kind of tell if they have or not, you know, <laughs> but, um, I, I, i was lucky i was lucky to have that opportunity right away to play with people and just kind of start there
3: okay a little bit more in playing in bands in high school i mean was this you know we hear from some people oh yeah i played in clubs or i played every school dance what was your situation um we ended up um well as
4: far as school goes uh i i got into the marching band i did symphonic band i played other percussion instruments and um i had to like um i remember when it first started i guess it was seventh grade you know the band program i had to uh let the band director know i was already a drummer you know like i'm not going to sit here and audition on uh not going to work on my Amisher on a tuba you know and let you pick what i'm going to play i'm like i want to play the drums you know and um it worked It worked out (laughs) but um but yeah i i got to any any school band program that they had um whether it was we had a show choir we didn't have a jazz band we had a show choir i was the drummer in that um it was like a song and dance group you
5: know doing like a variety show kind of thing um and uh you know even um trying
4: to think what else was happening in the high school days but but I was playing you know in these bands when I get, get home from school I think we finally got a gig um or two at clubs and my parents would have to take me and stay with me to get me in and, and that kind of thing um, cuz I was I don't know probably 11 12 at this point playing wow. in bars and <laughs> um yeah so you know, that my parents were supportive. So that was cool. That, that, that was, uh, um, I think because it was so foreign to them, this whole musician thing, cause it just, wasn't anything that they were, they just didn't know anything about it. So I think they just kind of saw it as exciting cause it was so different from, you know, what they had done up until that point. And I was do- taking this risk
5: and I think they enjoyed that. Um, because it could have gone the other way, you know. It could have been like, you know, what are you doing? But
4: um luckily I had they were open enough <laughs> to deal with it. Um but yeah, and then when I got into college, I went to North Texas and and uh in it's in the Dallas area in Denton, Texas. Um I was you know, previously playing a lot of rock and R and B and soul music, groove music. I was really into a lot of that. I wanted to uh, learn more. I was getting more into progressive stuff and fusion, jazz, rock, kind of all that kind of thing that was more sophisticated. And And I wanted to get more into the jazz thing because I didn't know a lot about it. I was just starting to kind of dab into it from teachers turning me on to stuff. And so um, UNT university of north texas is known as a really good jazz program and jazz school so that's really why i just decided to go there because i wanted to just challenge myself something new and different um and i decided that you know i want to do this new york thing and 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 uh the jazz influence was going to probably help that out you know just just to kind of incorporate that into my playing where i could just kind of a draw from that whenever i need to and um but yeah i was doing uh, you know taking lessons in in that genre of music and then playing with um various musicians in the dallas area i was i was playing it got to a point where i was playing seven nights a week and then also going to school trying to go to school you know um but I was playing a lot it was It was almost like a training ground, you know, before I moved to New York. But there was a lot of great players in Dallas. I think the school brings in a lot of talent and they stick around um, and there's just a lot of great players there
5: at the time. This would have been you know late eighties, early nineties, I guess and um i I was playing in this band called Dallas Brass and Electric. And we played like
4: a lot of the, you know, a lot of it was a cover band. We did what most of those bands would do, but we also, because of the horn section, we'd play like Tower Power and Earthman and Fire, Chicago and um, you know, just great uh horn music, R and B stuff. And it was it was really great. It was really it was a great band and, and we played all the time for years. I was in that band and um it just it did a lot
5: for me growing as a musician it was it was really a great time um, so uh yeah, i mean it was just uh it was a great time to be in in texas in that
4: at that time at u n c there was just a lot going on you know, I don't know how it is now, but
0: at that time it was great.
3: Okay. So that's outside the classroom. Certainly many musicians never go to college, never mind music college. So in retrospect, what did you learn and was it to your benefit in the classroom?
5: Um I think I gained more from just, you know, getting out and playing. Uh
4: but what was cool was being around peers that turned me on to stuff, you know. Turn me on to music I didn't know about, or just just you know check this out, you know kind of stuff just and and getting together with other players and playing and just growing that way, exchanging ideas and had some great teachers for sure um ed sof was was the drum set teacher there, and he was it was pretty life changing what what we got into um so that was that was great that part of it was great, but I think just being around it and having that opportunity to, to grow, you know, before I made the big move, I think it was just a, it was, it was, you know, some people aren't into the music school idea, but it, it works out well for me. I think I was, I kind of needed that. Um, I needed more time to, to figure stuff out, you know, before I went to the big city to see what could happen, you know?
3: So you graduate from college and take me from there.
4: Uh, I didn't graduate. <laughs> uh, I remember. Um, I remember Ed Sove actually telling my mom, my teacher there, that, yeah, Keith Keith could just, should just go, just let him go, let him see what happens. You know, I always thought that was kind of cool that he went there because you would think he'd be like, oh, he's got to finish his degree, but he was he was cool enough to tell my mom that,
5: and my mom was like, oh my god, she was very, uh, very very sweet and you know, great, great lady, but just, just
4: really conservative. And it's like, you got to finish that degree kind of thing, you know? But anyway, so he convinced her that it was okay.
3: (laughs) How far are you from a degree? How long were you there?
4: I, I, you know, I was there for four years. I was there from, I guess, 89, 90 to 92. And then I was still playing a lot in Dallas, Fort Worth area. So I was working all the time just playing gigs, gig after gig, different types of stuff. A um, little bit of session work here and there. There's a lot of jingles going on in that, in that area at that time. Um, and I stayed in Dallas for another, I would say, maybe three to four years. Wow. Just gigging. Yeah. Just gigging and just kind of get, getting my, felt like a, it was I needed to get away from school to kind of process everything and just kind of have time to, to figure out what just happened, (laughs) you know, so much information that I, it, it was good to just stop the classroom stuff and just get out and play and focus on that. And I was practicing all the time, you know, it was that time of when I put in all the hours, you know, just, just I knew at some point, I was going to get out and see what else I could find, you know, because because I pretty much, you know, you can make a decent living, I guess. But I had, I just I just wanted to see what else was out there, you know.
3: So how did you end up going to New York? How did I end up going? Well, I mean, it's the dream. You go to college yeah. for four years. You spend more years in Dallas. People are always talking about going to the big city, and most don't even make the effort.
4: Yeah, I, you know it was just time and i and i i had some friends that went to school with me that had previously moved there so it felt like you know i'm going to know a few people already um and uh then i just i just saved some dough it wasn't a lot but it, it was it had a little bit of a cushion there and um a, a guy that i went to school with uh his name was josh um was, he let me move in with him. He, he needed a roommate in the East Village. And I just, I drove up from Dallas, brought a few things and uh, a couple of friends helped me unload. And and there I was, you know, like I was, I knew I was going to live in Manhattan. I wasn't going to live in the other boroughs or Jersey or anything. I was going to be in the middle of it. I wanted to just walk out my door, be in that city, just be there, you know, and I could walk down the street to hear any um, almost any night of the week I could go hear like some of my Heroes play at a club you know Um So that that was incredible Um but I knew I wanted to be in the city And I was just gonna go and see What could happen luckily Um my roommate at the time Uh that all worked out I was on 5th street between
5: 2nd and 3rd Avenue and um Uh I I ended up I guess it was maybe uh 6 months into it or so being there that uh, um I got into a few things where I was playing uh I was
4: playing at the bitter end on like every Sunday night they had a jam and I was asked to be uh like the the house drummer for the jam and that was oh that was really fun because a lot of people came in and you know, there was some really good players. There were some that, that weren't, but, um, it was, it was a great place to hang and just meet, meet people. It was just, just rotating, uh, you know, people just coming in and out and, and just playing all night. So it was really cool. Um, and some, a lot of stuff
5: came out of that, you know, just meeting those people and, um, because you know this is pre-social media, and
4: I think it was pre-cell phone. I remember having a pager in those days. You know, the pager would go off, and you hope you—oh, I got a gig! You have to hurry up and call, like, <laughs> go to a phone, You know,
5: um, but I—I um, I got into some situations really. That was really great. I ended up
4: getting an, an audition with Harry Belafonte, and I got the gig. And I I worked with him um, for a couple of years, on and off, going on the road,
5: um, did some Vegas shows, did, did did some theaters around the U.S. Um, and that was
4: great. Great band, great musicians. We did a lot of eclectic music
5: and different stuff, African music um and of course all the hits and stuff it was really fun um there was also i had a a
4: contact from north texas with lou marini or blue lou from you know the, the blues brothers band and, and a, you know of course he's done a million other things but but he's certainly known for the blues brothers and uh we got to know each other in dallas whenever he would come back uh, he has family there. He would come back and we ended up, he ended up sitting in with this band that I was playing, the horn band I was telling you about. Um, and so we kind of kept in touch a little bit. Um, I remember the days of, back in those days, we would, uh, you know, hand out business cards or <laughs> It's kind of, it sounds silly now, but, oh, and a demo tape, you know, a cassette tape every now and then I would hand them out and just hope for the best, you know, hope someone cares enough to listen and, you know, whatever. Um, but he was one of the guys that actually responded, you know, and he, he dug what I, what I was gave him and what he heard. And I thought that was really cool. Um, and when I got to New York, he, he kind of took me under his wing. He, he like introduced me to a lot of people. Um, and he, and he got me in with the Blues Brothers. I started touring with those guys. Uh, it was like the original Blues Brothers band. And uh, it, was, uh, it was Steve Cropper. Duck Dunn was there some of the time. when he wasn't, there was another bass player named Eric Udell. Um, there was, uh, you know, of course, Lou on saxophone, Alan Rubin, Mr. Fabulous. Um, Birch Johnson was on trombone, Leon Pendarvis on keys, um, Rusty Cloud would play keys sometimes when Leon wasn't there. Um, Matt Guitar Murphy, like all the guys. Um, of course, Ackroyd and Belushi weren't there. was right? so different singers. They had uh, um, a guy from New York named Tommy McDonnell and eddie floyd knock on wood eddie floyd would uh would sing with it with the band and we would go to japan we would go all over europe the blues festivals and and uh various various things people went nuts over that band as they should i mean it's a party you know it was just like get out there and play feel good music and people love those songs i mean the whole Blues Brothers movie is such a phenomenon i mean there's there's kids that still would show up dressed in the in the suits and the hat and the glasses you know it, it was so cool uh, it was amazing uh, and um that was my first experience you know traveling the world and and playing music you know um, and it was it was awesome, you know, just to play with those guys and to you know they they basically came up with with a lot of what i grew up loving and and just you know the whole stacks thing
5: and, and just all those songs um just so much history there you know and just to kind of
4: get a piece of that was fun just to be to work with those guys it was i learned a lot you know it was it was great so i had th- i had that going on i had the 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 harry belafonte thing going on um, and then I had this kind of more jazz oriented stuff, underground stuff with Wayne Krantz that I was mentioning earlier, which is how I met Don and Walter. Um, so I was able to get into some things in New York that, that it just kind of it just
5: snowballed and, and led to other stuff, you know, and, uh, you know, that was It was a very i I just
4: love new york so much i just had like this infatuation with it that um i remember the first time i went there i was uh i was selected to be in the mcdonald's all-american high school band (laughs) and i got to march in the macy's parade on the, the snare drum um and we had like the tv moment in front of macy's and did our thing and and i was just um, I mean, I was a junior in high school and this being in the big city, marching down the street, I was, I was in heaven. I was like, man, this is where I'm going to live. This is it. So, you know, I'm going to do it. And I just knew, I just knew from that point on this is where I was going to go, you know? And so, uh, I'm just glad I did it. I'm glad I didn't chicken out because it was definitely the most intimidating place to go, you know? Um, at least to me, it was.
3: <laughs> okay, you're a drummer, you find your way. This is when sessions are still happening and there are other working musicians who are not going on the road on a regular basis. So, paint a picture of what was going on then and what your place in it was.
5: Well, I have to say, you know, I moved to New York around I guess it was 96 and I
4: kind of missed the heyday of the session thing when, when things were killing, I mean, they were just, you know, in the seventies and eighties, from what I hear, it was, it was just like, you would go to three or four sessions a day and just, you know, just studio to studio and cutting records left and right. And and I just, I missed all that. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've, I've been able to do sessions, uh, more, now than i did then almost like it's kind of turned around but in those days when i first moved to new york i was more or less i was kind of i was doing more live work and i and i was on the road all the time um and the only time i mean just wasn't i wasn't really in the city as much as uh and i could I, i couldn't figure out a way to make it work just being in the city i had to go on the road um so Yeah, I just think missing that, the era of where it was really, really happening was a part of it. But I also just got my, I just found my niche where I was just kind of this um, live drummer that it just seemed like that's kind of where it went. You know, without, I didn't plan anything out. It just kind of went to that place where I was just going from tour to tour. And um, the occasional session would come up. uh, And I've done some records that I'm really proud of, you know, over the years, but it's, I feel like I'm recording more now than I did then.
3: Okay. So you're on the road. A, do you like being on the road? And B,
5: are you happy? (laughs) Or you say, I have a bigger dream than this. Um, I I love the road. I love it. I love, I, you know,
4: i'm older now so i can't say i i love uh you know being tired all the time and things like that when i was younger it didn't matter i could just bounce back and um but uh i love touring and i love playing live i mean that's what i really that's that's what you're getting paid for is the show which is just two hours out of the day you know and then everything else is I guess I I should say it the other way. You're getting paid for all the travel and, and, um, you know, dealing with all that, (laughs) um, stuff, but I, but I, I love traveling and I love, you know, I got to see the world and, and do things that I never thought
5: was possible, um, to experience that was, it's just been incredible. Um, But I, you know, I, I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've just
4: been really, I like doing both. I I like having the session side of things because it's, it's a lot more structured and you can experiment with sounds and, and, you know, if possible, if there's time, you can really, really experiment with approaches and things like that. Whereas Live is just about the energy and, and the moment with, with the audience. And there's there's nothing like that. I mean, that's what I love more than anything.
3: So if you can go on the road with varying acts till you can play no more physically, you're happy.
5: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I'm just kind of
4: taking it day by day here.
3: <laughs> okay, so you so you, you're working with the jazz trio, etc., you get the gig in Steely Dan that's one vertical to what degree getting this gig in steely dan does that change your profile and create opportunities
4: um well they steely dan definitely put me on the map you know in a much bigger way it's because you know it, it was just the most high profile thing that i had ever been a part of and a lot of people took notice like who is this new guy you know Kind of came out of nowhere
5: and um uh it opened up doors uh and it still does you know it's it's such a it created a lot of opportunity for me and um there's just a credibility there that it puts you on a a higher rank if you've worked with them and uh that's that's been amazing. I mean, just to have, um, have the chance to work with those guys, but because it's, it's so well-revered and
4: such a, um, it's kind of like, it's the ultimate, you know, um, one of them. I think of those guys, man, I think, I think of Becker and Fagan is like, that's to me, it's like Lennon and McCartney. I mean, they, they, It's the American version of that. I mean, they they really, um, just prolific songwriters and changed, changed music, you know, changed the whole course of things, you know, and their, their whole unique story with all the session musicians, all the, I mean, so many great players have played on their records and just to be a part of that lineage of players, just to be thought of in that club is, you know,
0: super cool, you know?
3: okay so you say you played with sting you played with james taylor you played with toto how does that happen you're sitting at home and they say we want you or do you come in and they feel you out whether it's you're good are you competing with people tell me a little bit more
4: a lot of it is word of mouth um i think a lot of it's the fact that i work with steely dan i think um sometimes people would be in the audience and liked what they heard and maybe spread the word to someone. I mean, there's various things that just organically happen and the stars align and somehow, um, it happened. You know, I, I've never had a manager. I don't have, I do everything myself. I don't have, I don't have any help. I just, um, and if someone's interested, they either would call me or I'd get a random email I've always had a presence online once that existed, and um, that's been a great tool to be there and to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm reachable that way. And, yeah, I think it's just all those various situations, and uh, it just kind of snowballed, you know.
3: So tell me about getting the gig with Sting, and you play with these acts, and then you stop playing with them. What causes the end?
5: Um, they don't call you back.
4: <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's the, uh, you know, I think either they move on with something else or, um, I don't really have, don't always have those
5: answers. Cause, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, you, you, I guess I, I've, I've wondered that. I've wondered like, uh,
4: what what goes on in someone's head to to cha- make changes and but that's i mean that's just kind of their right to do right you know um but sometimes um, it's just scheduling conflicts or whatever or sometimes you just don't you know once it's over it's over
3: so, how often is it they call you? Whether it be people you've worked with before or other people say, "I just can't
5: do it. I'm booked." It happened a, a lot at one point. It's um, it's been. Um, I mean, this whole
4: COVID thing, you know, shut down things for a while. So I'm just. It almost feels like it's still
5: coming back, you know. But um, uh, it, it's. I, I guess that's the hard part
4: about being an independent musician, you know, sideman where I'm, I'm trying to schedule things and, and then I know, well, this is, you know, I got to keep this open. And then it's like trying to, it's, it, just, it becomes a mess. You know, this is when I wish I had a manager sometimes, you know, to deal with it. But, um, the, but there's also slow periods where you just uh, wait it out for the next thing to happen so um yeah i it's it's just part of of it's like an exciting part of the gig and then it's also it sucks because you don't know what's going to happen next but it's also exciting not knowing maybe at least you have to tell yourself that you
3: know (laughs) so how long might it be slow and how did you cope with covid both
5: emotionally and monetarily Um, well, it's, uh, slow periods are usually, um, expected
4: certain parts of the year are usually slow, you know, like around holiday time to end of the year through maybe, you know, the next summer sometimes, you know, it just, it just became kind of expected, but you never... uh, Ne- never in my wildest dreams did we did anyone expect things to shut down the entire live music industry to just completely shut down for whatever it was. It feels like three years you know <laughs> two two years pretty much I mean, we were the first thing to go and the last to come back
5: and um you know it, it was rough, you know it was like very it was depressing because
4: that was what i did i am i'm i have to get out and play you know i have to i want to move around and keep busy and um
5: and play shows that's what i do but i was forced to find other things to do Uh,
4: i i was able to finally get a home studio really up and running i'd been wanting to do that for years and just kept putting it off because I was always on the road or always had an excuse. But that's one thing that, that positive that came out of it. I was able to to get that up and running. I had some engineers to help me. And, um, I, I learned more about pro tools where I'm self-sufficient. I can record drums from home and get really good sounds. And so that, that's like something that was, I guess, a blessing that came out of it. Um, and I, I have three young daughters, so that it was great to be home with them and just be a part of their lives a lot more than I would have been, and, and
5: so that was great. I love that, and um, you know, financially, it was it it, it was
4: it was a challenge. It's a long time, but it was really it felt like almost three years of uh, not the usual. Uh, steady income (laughs) luckily i've always been a saver and i've invested and things like that i'm not um uh you know that's another thing i really got into is is learning more about how how the financial world works and learning about all that stuff you know that doesn't really get taught you're kind of on your own with with all that um but that's been kind of fun to learn about And, uh, but yeah, it was rough and I, and I applied for some of those PPP loans and I got through it and I had to dip into some IRA money and that was a drag, but I got us through it, you know, and, um, had I not had that, I'd, we'd be screwed. Probably would have had to sell my house or something.
3: (laughs) Okay. And now you're talking about your endorsement deal yet with Vic Firth. To what degree do you have endorsement
5: deals? How do those work, and when did those arise? Um, well, um, the endorsement stuff I have are with Gretsch Drums, um, who I've been with since,
4: I guess, 2012 or so. Um, Zildjian, since the early days, 90s. Um, and Vic Firth Sticks. I have a signature model, so I get a little bit of a royalty with the sales of that one. Um, I also have a signature snare drum with Gretsch that I I get a royalty
5: from, which is cool. Um, uh, But uh, what else am I missing? Oh, Evans drum heads. Um,
4: And then I also have a deal with Earthworks mics. That's what I use uh, on the road and also at home in the studio. Uh, you can see the drums behind me. I could, this is where I track, actually. Um,
5: so it it, it happens, uh, you know. Basically, once you you get a a high profile gig
4: or you're someone these days is different, but at least you know I'm old school. So back back when you you just kind of had to get a gig and have visibility. Um, they would be interested in and signing you on. Um, and I got to know some of the guys being in New York, I was able to have access to, to that world a little better when they would come to town for various things and got to know some of the guys at, um, the drum companies. And, um, and so, you know, it was good to have a relationship with those guys and, and it's not just about getting free stuff, you know, it's, it's really having a relationship and, and, you know you're in it together you know you're out there pushing their brand and then they're also helping you with with the gear so it's and it really comes in handy um when you're on the road and you're not on a tour like I've been on various tours but s- different budget levels you know sometimes there's not a budget to bring all your stuff so you're you're going to get backlined at every gig so it's good to have endorsements especially in those situations, because they can help you get what you need to each venue and make sure it's what you want and, and that kind of thing, which can be great. But, um, it's just an agreement. You, you get like, I got to know the guys and, and, um, they would ask me if I was interested or I would, uh, tell them I was interested and, you know, just work it out, work out a, a situation.
3: Okay. Another thing you're into is education. Tell me about that. I've done a
4: little bit of private teaching here and there, but I don't do a lot of it. I, I um, I don't love, I don't love it. I don't love teaching. But what I did find that I did enjoy was just doing like the occasional, like they call it clinics or masterclass or something like that, where it's a group of people I have an audience, and it's just a one-time show where I, I just basically I'll do some playing and I'll talk about some things and then open it up for questions. And so it just kind of goes wherever the audience takes it, you know? So it's, it's really a good way to kind of reach the level of the people in the room where they're at and they can kind of just interactive, you know, you can kind of f- feel it out and see what, what they might get at it, what, what they interests are and in, hope that they can get something out of what I have there to to give and say. Um, but I, I used to do a lot of those um, and these, a lot of these companies that I'm involved with would um, sponsor tours. You know, I would do like a two week clinic tour, or if I was had a day off somewhere um, we could maybe schedule something at a music store or, or, university or or school or whatever it might be um drum shop or something so i i've done a lot of those over the years and i really enjoy it um there just doesn't seem to be a budget for it like like there used to be um i think the companies have cut back on that funding that stuff it's not not the same um but i have enjoyed doing that um and i've done some drum camps where you spend like a week. With the students at a, at various locations, I did one in Greece a while back. Um, I've done some in the UK, and there's there's a lot of communities, different places that that do these things every year, and and so they'll call different people every year to be a part of that. But that's that's probably as far as it goes. Uh, I've done, uh, I did a DVD, an instructional DVD that came out like 2008, I think uh but that's that's the
3: gist of it okay so let's say they call you to work and you're booked who do you tell them to call and who are your drum favorites heroes living and dead
5: you know if if i i'll just say i'm not available i guess
4: and if they if they um or if i if i think of someone that i think would be good for it i'll certainly uh recommend someone of course. Uh it just depends on what it is
5: and and um, who I think might be good for it. Um, but as far as influences man I I um I always mess up this question because there's so many I'll forget. But um you know going back to like Keith Moon and John Bonham, uh, Mitch Mitchell, uh, Charlie Watts, um, like Steve Jordan, um, the New Orleans side of things.
4: I, I love the meters. That was a big influence. Zucobu Modeliste was the drummer.
5: Um, great drummer. Uh, David Garibaldi, um, the Tower of Power. Uh, in the jazz world like oh there's so many i went through uh well in the jazz world like
4: tony williams and alvin jones and jack dejanet bill stewart is another one i like a lot um <clears throat> uh jeez neil peart was one that i grew up being a huge rush fan so that was a big influence um Stuart Copeland with the police, uh all the all the session guys like Steve Gadd, um Bernard Purdy, uh Rick Murata, Ed Green, like all these th- these are some of the ones that are on all these Steely Dan records, you know. Um cause being, being a part of that is is like I've always said it's like the greatest drum school, like because there's so many great players on all those tracks from all those records that uh getting to play them you're you're kind of channeling them in a way night after night but but also making it your own at the same time you t- you're kind of like paying homage to that what they were doing that day in the studio because it's so much a part of the track all those details that are involved and um the feel of it and how it all works together in the rhythm section everybody's part you know there's a focus there but then it kind of turns over the years it's turned into me kind of doing my version of it. Uh, it just morphs into that (laughs) over time. But in the beginning I was studying those records, man, just, you know, all those Steely Dan records. And, um, there's so many great, great tracks. Um, there's Dave Weckl, there's, uh, there's Dennis Chambers and Vinnie Kaliuta, all these guys. Those were like, when I was in high school, those were like, Everyone was listening to those, those three guys. There's so many, man. I can I'm going to.
3: Okay. Okay. Well, we'll leave I'll it forget. at that. So we don't, <laughs> you know, the less we talk about it, the more everybody's left out, we'll feel more comfortable. So when yeah. you're not working with Steely Dan, if you go on your website, you're doing other gigs. What are you doing when you're not working with Steely Dan? We're going to go out with the Eagles momentarily and anything else booked down the pike.
4: I do a lot of sessions from home. That's what I've been doing a lot of. And that's been great it's Been really nice. Cause it's kind of on my own, uh, something on my own time really. And, and, uh, it's kind of nice to have a little business from home and, and, uh, get to play a lot of different types of music. And, um, I just get contacted uh, online from various people from really all over the world. It's just really, it's amazing. it, it freaks me out that this is possible that you can just send your tracks, you know, I know it's, I'm kind of late to the game, but, but it's, it's really cool. Um, I do a lot of that. I, I, uh, when I'm home, I do, if I'm not on the road, I'm, I'm basically doing the dad thing. I have three, three young daughters and, um, and my wife, Lynn, who, you know, uh, we, we just, we are just kind of, they keep us so busy man it's just so much going on in their lives and i try to be a part of it as much as i can um to to be there if i'm home i'm there you know so that's a lot
3: but you're also on the road not with steely dan
4: yeah right i did a tour with christopher cross this summer which was great a lot of fun i did um you know the the jazz thing comes up every now and then. I was in Japan at the Blue Note with with Robin Ford and Bill Evans, Daryl Jones from the Stones on, on bass, um, and that was so much fun. We went. We were there earlier this year. I even did a tour with Wayne, the the Kranz Trio with Tim Lafay. We were out earlier this year in Europe. So I mean, there's always stuff going on, um, and it's fun. I like. I like changing it up. I like, I like doing different things. So, uh, it just keeps things fresh and fun.
3: Okay. So let's just assume there's no work. Will you wait for work to play or do you play every day?
4: Back in the day, I would play a lot, but now it's, it's kind of, I play if I, if I have the work, because otherwise I'm, I'm busy with the kiddos and stuff, you know? (laughs)
3: <laughs> so let's say there was no work for two weeks. Do you ever get a hankering, man, I got to play or wait for the call or the email?
5: Uh,
4: I'll, I'll play at that point. I'll probably play a little bit. You know, I, I, I can't uh, be without it too long, but, but back in the old days when I was younger, man, it was like, I would flip out if I, if I wasn't playing every single day. I mean, you know, it's funny how things change. <laughs> But, yeah, it was was extreme, really ridiculous.
3: Okay, Keith, I want to thank you for taking this time to talk to me and my audience. How long are you going out on the road with Steely Dan? How far out is that booked?
4: Right now, it's just um, September through November. And uh, we start rehearsals next week in New York, and then we'll be out Steely Dan and the Eagles which should be a lot of fun and a killer night of music. And um, yeah. And then we'll see what happens after that. Hopefully there's more.
3: That's for sure. If you go to see uh, Keith, you'll know it's him behind the act. He's that dynamic and that impressive. In any event, thanks again, Keith. Thanks
4: for having me. I really appreciate the interest, man. I'm a big fan and uh, follow your newsletter and have for years and as does my wife. So, man, it's really an honor to be with you today, man. Thank
3: you. Well, it's great. I'm a huge fan of your music too. Till next time, this is Bob sets.
1: Find great brands like Monogram at your local showroom or visit us online at ferguson.com/build